0: Nick Sonnenberg is a self-proclaimed efficiency nut. He loves everything about efficiency and team productivity. His promise, John, is really to help people
1: get an extra day back in their week for their entire team. Wouldn't we all love that? He's also the author of the book, Come Up For Air, which we're encouraging everybody to get full of productivity tips and tricks. Today, we talk about his methodology CPR that is in that book and how you can optimize the time you have each and every week. CPR being communicate,
0: plan, and resource. And then the other one that we heard from him and he expanded on was reply, archive, and defer. This is just packed with so many things that are immediately actionable for our listeners. Let's not delay and get them into Nick
1: Sonnenberg. Hey entrepreneurs, are you looking to take your business to the next level? I'm sure you are. Listen up. The Entrepreneurs United Empowerment Experience is coming to Austin, Texas on October 2nd and the 4th, and you do not want to miss it. At this exclusive event limited to just 50 entrepreneurs, you'll have the opportunity to connect with other like-minded business owners and CEOs, learn from industry experts, and enjoy unique experiences that you will not find anywhere else. The Entrepreneurs United Experience will leave you feeling inspired, energized, and ready to take on whatever opportunities and challenges come your way. So mark your calendars now for October 2nd and the 4th, and join us at the Omni Barton Creek Resort in Austin, Texas. You will not regret it. Visit entrepreneursunited.us to learn more and secure your spot today. Hey Nick, I gotta tell you that it
0: was recommended to me by one of the franchise owners who I work with that we need to talk. And this is somebody who had listened to your podcast, who had heard of you on somebody else's podcast. I think they even read your book and without even knowing anything about you i said if they're going to recommend i need to talk to this guy then i need to talk to this guy so we're happy to have you here and can you tell me why would an entrepreneur say we have to have you on our show what is it that you do and offer that is so interesting somebody would make that recommendation
2: i'm giving people the gift of time and time is our most valuable asset and you know the, there's plenty of places you can go to get marketing strategies or strategies to increase revenue but there's fewer places to go to figure out ways where you could literally save 20 30 40% not just of your time but what i'm passionate about is how do you get your entire team more efficient so team productivity team efficiency and that that's a bit more of a niche but really interesting untapped field that I'm specializing in I'm passionate about. So yeah, I guess they, they liked the content and maybe they, they themselves were able to either, either through reading my book or if they saw some other content or became a client of ours, like maybe they experienced saving a day a week, which is typically the average that we see people can save.
0: We rarely come across somebody who has a promise like, hey, I can help you save a day a week. Or I can help with team productivity at 20, 30, 40%. Can we just dive right into it? How do you do that? I think everybody who's listening says, yeah, I want that. All right, Nick, you're on. (laughs) Yeah,
2: the amount of inefficiency that we see, and I've worked with thousands and thousands of teams between myself and my team, we've worked with thousands of teams. There's common patterns that we see every team falls into, which is why We can conservatively say, if you're listening right now, you could save a day a week pretty quickly. Just how people use email alone is three to five hours of that. And I've developed this framework called CPR, which is the core of my book. It stands for Communicate, Plan, and Resource. Those are the three key areas that we identified. It doesn't matter if you're a five-person HVAC company or we've literally worked with companies on the hundreds of thousands. It doesn't matter the industry or team size. You have those three buckets. And by and large, how people use email is probably the most broken. Email's been around for decades. Every company has either Outlook or Gmail. Not everyone maybe has heard of Slack or Asana or Coda or Notion or some of these other tools, which are really important, but everyone uses email. Everyone's adopted bad behaviors. So one of the chapters of the book is how do you actually use email properly when not just how to use email properly. And we have a framework for that, which involves when should you have a folder? How do you search advanced settings, snoozing, things like that? What's the difference between your all mail and your inbox? There's little things like this, but if you think about the amount of time you spend in email a week, if you don't have these tools in, in, in your toolbox, you're doing yourself a disservice, even if you can save a few seconds per email at the volume that you're getting emails, it could be huge. So between emails and also just how meetings are run, no agendas, too many people, too much frequency. It's not just about saving time too. It's about optimizing time. 9 a.m. on a Monday, for example, could be a far more valuable time slot in your calendar than 7 p.m. on a Friday after 100 Zoom calls for the week and your brain is dead. So it's not just, if you could say 15 minutes, 15 minutes at 9 a.m. could be worth $100 to you. 15 minutes on a Friday could be worth $5 to you. So how do you not just save time, but how do you optimize time? What parts of your meetings could you shift to asynchronous and have people pre-record videos that you could watch when you're going on a walk or in the back of an Uber and you could watch it at 2x speed, you could rewind it. So just between meetings and email alone, it's not that hard to get close to that full day a week. And then beyond that, How are you using project management tools? Like how are you using internal communication tools? Do you have a company knowledge base? Have you leveraged automation and artificial intelligence? So it's pretty quick to go beyond the full business day. And you could do whatever you want with it. You could use it to get more work done, be less stressed, be more thoughtful, be able to go on vacation and not be stressed out that the whole house of cards is going to crumble. I don't advise people where they should be focused in terms of their goals and priorities. I just, my job is just, hey, we can save you all this time because you're just literally wasting it. It's not going to anything that you enjoy doing or taps into your unique ability. And I just find ways to free up that
0: time. And then it's up to you what you want to do with it. I'd love to know more about the meeting side. Is there a is there a litmus test on... How to know if it's worth a meeting or not, just for starters? How do I know if I should be having a meeting or you recommended or you made a suggestion that some asynchronous pre-recordings could work? I don't know if I need to do that or if I need to have a meeting. I would say times that you definitely want to have
2: a meeting. If you have to have a hard conversation with someone, you don't want to do that over a pre-recorded video or slack or microsoft teams that that could take you down rabbit holes and make problems even worse so you want to have a meeting there if there's something collaborative where there's a lot of back and forth and brainstorming and it's like we have sticky notes or like we're going over some new design and we want to give feedback about something that you've done typically those but if you want to present to me the april numbers of how marketing went And you've got a 10-slide deck and you want to walk me through that, you could pre-record walking through that with the slides and drop me a link to the slides in the video. Now I can watch that on my own time. And we probably still need to have a live meeting. But instead of it being 30 minutes, maybe it could be 15 minutes. And that's a huge win. So
0: I think what I just heard is have a live meeting, whether it be in-person or scheduled meeting where both people are there. When there's some type of conversation to be had, particularly a hard conversation, if it's creative or collaborative, but if you are only doing an information share and you don't need anybody else to communicate back with you or with others, then why are you taking Uh, live time for it? Yeah, maybe you do need feedback, but
2: you could schedule a second call after you've digested kind of the one direction, me reporting out stuff. But when it's like collaborative and it's just like constant back and forth or you're doing like a live brainstorming, the there are, there is a time and a place for meeting. Meetings can serve a very important purpose. People tend to just not follow best practice. They don't have agendas. They continue doing a weekly meeting that could be biweekly because it's always been that case. You keep inviting the same four people, but it only really requires two. So on and so on.
1: So Nick, I'm addicted to this story for a bunch of reasons. First of all, I zero Inbox, which may or may not be a good thing in your methodology, I'm not sure, but I subscribed to SaneBox years ago and they had this book, 101 Hacks to Maximize Email. And I got so addicted to it that I feel like a complete efficient czar on my emails now because I don't even pay attention to all the junk that's going over here. And I I send things to the future when I'm going to deal with it then. And I have a whole bunch of different hacks. I love all of that. Rich and I know Cameron Harold pretty well wrote the book, Meetings Suck. I think there's other books out there. So we subscribe to that one big time, but I still feel like- Are
2: you in his COO alliance? No. Oh, it's a great program. I've spoken at it. He's a dear friend. He's one of the back testimonials for
1: my book. Cameron's great. And certainly we know how he feels about meetings, how you feel about them and how Rich and I feel about them. Still, there's ways to continuously be efficient. You brought up a really good example of how we can potentially pre-record the first portion of every meeting for people to be able to actually listen to it before they come and snooze in the back of the room while you re-explain it for 30 minutes. I love that example of what you can do. But the piece that has me the most intrigued so far we have not talked about is how the world of small business is changing with AI. Hmm. We hear a lot about it. A lot of small business owners and entrepreneurs don't have the time to, excuse the pun, come up for air to actually see what on earth is going on there. But I've been experimenting with these tools. I love it. The efficiency is amazing. What have you seen in that space so far and how do you think small business entrepreneurs can maximize those tools?
2: I think where it stands right now, I'll answer this, but then there's something with the meetings I'll go back to in a second. I think that the typical use case is to be like a writing partner or to help you get a first draft of something. So we write for ink, we have a column in ink. So, you know, We'll send a prompt like, we want to write an article, a parallel between digital mess and physical mess, and how if you're a hoarder, it's going to be hard to get the best work of your life done. And likewise, even if your house is clean, but you've got all these stuff on your computer and it's hard to find that's like digital hoarding and what... So anyway, we might write a few sentences about that, have it spit out, give me 10 headlines around this topic, feed the headline back in, now write me a first draft. With this headline, and so it definitely for writing type of things could be like a good first draft partner. I think in the future you'll be able to do really interesting things, like reach out to John, who I have a podcast with later, and follow up with this and this, and write an email, create the right Asana tasks. I think we're far away from that. So I think in in kind of the infancy now, it's more to give you. Some ideas around marketing related types of things is the main use case I'm seeing. Back to agendas though, for a second. Another thing that most people don't think about is your brain is for having ideas, not holding ideas. And what you don't want is, I talk about in the book the importance of using tools like Slack, Microsoft Teams, knowing when and how to use all these different tools. You could be using the right tool, but if you overuse it, that hurts your productivity. And if every time, you know, Rich has an idea to share with you, John. Then, if every time he's got an idea, he's sending you a ping, email, text, Slack, whatever, it should be Slack or Teams since you guys are internal. But regardless, if every time one of you has an idea, there's a ping, if you were in a flow state and it takes you out of a flow state, it's like a 15 minute impact to your productivity to get back into it. My friend Nira all wrote Indistractable, and then Cal Newport wrote Deep work that talks about this stuff. An agenda is a great way to allow people to brain dump things that they want to talk about with someone, knowing that it's not going to get lost. So you don't have to like keep it wrapped in your brain. But then you also get the benefit of not distracting someone in the moment with a bunch of pings and dings. And their a big productivity principle is batching. It's much more efficient to go through ten ideas or topics in one shot than break it up into 10 one-offs, much less disruptive. You'll find that maybe half of them just self-resolve anyway by next week. And even if they don't, much faster for you to bulk go through 10 things
1: and asynchronously do one at a time. Yeah, no, I love that idea too. And to your point, a lot of organizations, a lot, too many, still internally use email. It's interesting the catch that you, you mentioned there, which is when you are internal, give me one justification why you need to send an email to communicate from me to rich versus some other tool from me to rich that doesn't bog him down so it seems to me like you, that philosophy is if it's external email may be appropriate if it's internal email may be inappropriate is that a fair they might book I lay out some best practice guidelines and
2: these are guidelines like i tried to not make it too rigid like yeah. if the building's burning down do whatever you need but in general i recommend email should be for external communication and talking to your team or internal communication should really just be Slack or Microsoft Teams with the exception. If you need to forward an email to a colleague, don't like copy, paste and or download and just forward that. But for the most part, if you're looking for a conversation you're having with a colleague, that most likely should not be text or email that you're looking. It should be in Slack or Microsoft Teams those tools are built for purpose. And even if you're not using these tools to their highest and best use, just knowing which tool to open already helps eliminate a huge component of the scavenger hunt problem, which is causing a huge amount of the wasted time. Just was that in a text or was that in an email or was that in a Slack message or was that in Asana? So the whole point of my framework and what trainings we do at Leverage and my book, is all around aligning people, the purpose of each of these categories of tools and not just how to use them, but when to use them. And yes, I am also a inbox zero proponent. The best way to get to inbox zero though is email zero. So step one is making sure that you're not getting all the crap that you're getting in there that should be in Asana, should be in Slack, should be in Microsoft Teams, should be somewhere else.
0: Love that. What would you say is the number one time waster that you see in every business? I think you had mentioned email. Maybe that's just it. Our, honestly,
2: the most the starting point that we recommend with most people, the kind of signature program that is the majority of where we start with people. It sounds so simple, but it really is a game changer, is teaching people the nuanced best practices of how to effectively and efficiently use Gmail and Outlook is depending on the volume that you're getting, I'm telling you, like we've done this so many times. It's three to five hours a week. And you might be listening right now thinking, oh, I have a 100,000 emails in my inbox or something. That's impossible. I've done this with some pretty well-known people that have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of emails. And In a matter of hours, I can promise you, we can get you to zero and teach you a new way of thinking about your email so that it's not just a one-time thing. And then in a month, you're back to square one, but you need a reset and you need to be trained on how to actually maintain the reset and develop new behaviors and knowledge around how to manage it. That can literally give you back five hours a week. And it's a five hours a week of just complete wasted time that wasn't adding any value to anything.
0: You have a couple of tips that listeners could immediately implement as it relates to email where, hey, everybody, if you don't know that you can do this, go hit the help button and look at it and do that. What are a couple of those things?
2: There's a whole chapter on this that, that goes a lot more into depth, but really quick, snoozing. I have a framework called RAD, Reply Archive Defer. And just talking about defer for a second, most people don't realize that they can snooze an email, which means it leaves your inbox and comes back the sooner of whatever date you request it to come back, or if someone replies to you and it deactivates that snooze. So a few few examples, you could write to a potential client trying to schedule a call. Now the ball's in their court. But if they don't write back to you within a week, you want to know and you want it to be at the top of your email. So you could write back to that potential client, snooze it for a week. If they reply to you tomorrow, you see it at the top of your inbox tomorrow. If nothing happens, it comes back to the top of your inbox in a week and you could decide what you want to do be driving directions in a month to some conference you're going to for hotel details. You don't need that in your inbox right now. You need it the morning of check-in. Snooze it, have it come back in a month. So if you're on whatever, Outlook's a bit trickier because different versions of Outlook have different things. You could always install a third-party app, like a plugin like Boomerang or things like that. But snoozing or deferring in the rad acronym that i created is a huge one that most people aren't doing. Mm. Also most people don't utilize search. They have too many folders. They're not utilizing advanced settings inside of their email client and so on and so forth. So they don't understand the difference between inbox and archive. They're deleting when they should be archiving. There's a lot of it's the sum of a dozen small things that in combination Puts your, you know, you take back control of your email.
0: The number one thing that people write into us is that they're drowning in email. You've got in chapter seven of your book, Workloads and Capacity. And there's an area in here that I'd love to hear you expand on, which is calculating bandwidth. Yeah. I think there are a lot of entrepreneurs who look at the people who they hire in their business and say, We can just add this one thing. We have this one innovation, and we keep adding and adding, and rarely do we take off of a plate. How would one accurately calculate bandwidth as to whether somebody has it or not, or you have it or not? How does that work? So one thing
2: most people miss when, so look, everyone wants more capacity. There's three ways to get more capacity. You, one, hire more people which is usually the most expensive way to get more capacity. If you think about all the costs associated with hiring, you have to recruit, onboard, train, pay for a salary. And every single, per- even if all that goes right, where on average people leave after a year, every person you add, even if they're free, adds exponential complexity to your organization. It's exponentially harder to manage, communicate, information gets lost. So hiring more people is usually the first step People's first reaction, it's usually the most expensive for a multitude of reasons. The second way to increase capacity is you just ask everyone to work way harder. Work 100 hours a week or 80 hours a week. It turns out in our research, employees do not like being told to work 100 hours a week. It was a big surprise. (laughs) (laughs) And the third way is how can you get an extra 20, 40% out of everyone? And that's really my key area of focus because we found that there is an opportunity to get 20-40% more out of every employee and then you don't have to hire more people and people actually are end up being happier and it's just less complicated and easier and so when you're thinking about what is someone's capacity the first thing so first thing is how many what's the target number of hours a week that someone should be utilized so maybe 40 hours is like a good benchmark so 40 all right they don't have 40 hours to do projects and tasks for you. They have 40 minus whatever's on their calendar already for pre-commitments of meetings. So all these recurring meetings and one-off meetings, that all goes towards the 40. So say you got 10 hours of meetings on your calendar. Now you only have 30, 30 hours or 30 chips left to play with. Something that most people don't factor in, but it's a huge component is how much time you spend on email and other systems and tools Responding to things, right? That's not, it's not, how many double negatives here? Not non-negligible. <laughs> anyway, it's, it ends up being a significant amount of a percentage of your week. If every day you're spending three hours on email and then responding over Slack and Asana and other things, that could be 15 hours a week. So now you don't have 30, now you only have 15. So your 40-hour work week, Actually, if you're not getting through all of your work and your boss is coming down on you like, hey, why aren't you getting all of this done? It's because I don't you don't have 40 hours. You got 15 or maybe even less. Maybe you only have five. What's pretty cool is if someone only has, say, 10 hours a week towards new projects and through so say they got 30 hours a week of meetings and inbox zero stuff and they that only leaves them with 10 hours remaining. What's pretty cool is, if you think about it, giving someone back an extra day or like 10 hours a week because of optimizing how they do meetings, optimizing inbox zero, teaching them best practices of Asan and other tools. If you can give them back an extra 10 hours, in in, in one way to look at it is you've doubled their productivity because they, they had 10 hours a week towards high-value initiatives, and now you've given them back another 10, so you've just doubled it from 10 to 20 for the amount of time. Don't you ever get to the end of the week, you're like, oh man, if I only had an extra five hours, I'd really be able to make a dent in that big project. But instead you don't because we're all firefighters getting sucked into the crap that keeps the lights on and you just never find the time to make a serious dent in those really important projects. And so sometimes giving back an extra 10 hours is not a 20, 20, 25% lift in productivity, you're literally doubling or you're increasing by 100% the amount of time that you might be spending on the high value
1: project. Nick, we should have asked this to start, but your company leverage has been around for about eight years and you do consulting on this efficiency stuff that we're all talking about. How did that come to be for you? How did you wake up one day eight years ago and say, you know what, I'm going to found my own company that's going to help companies with this you know, issue of leveraging tools yeah. and efficiency skills.
2: Yeah, ever since I was a little boy, like six, I just really was passionate about running an efficient. Co- now I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, it's funny. <laughs> I my background, I was a high frequency trader on Wall Street for eight years, so yeah. I'm a mathematician by background. I was developing algorithms and coding computers to trade stocks at nanosecond and microsecond speeds. So I've been programmed to think in terms of automation and systems through that. I got into startups and Leverage initially was a freelancer marketplace. So we were doing tasks and projects for people. I was always interested in how we operated. So I was having dinner one night with one of my close friends at the time. We were brainstorming an idea for a freelancer marketplace. A company went bankrupt. So we were talking about it. At the end of the dinner, we had this interesting idea and I said, look, I can build a backend in a day, like a really beta version. You get five clients and why don't we launch on, this was a Sunday. It's like, we'll do this tomorrow and then we'll launch on Tuesday. We did it. You fast forward a month. We're keynoting a big conference right after Tony Robbins. And we closed 90% of the room on this service. Fast forward a year, we're doing seven figures of revenue bootstrapped with 150 people on the team. That all sounds impressive, but we made a lot of mistakes along the way. For example, no one knew who I was. I was really the the behind-the-scenes guy. And so out of 150 team members, maybe three knew who I was. Although we were doing good revenue, we were losing around half a million dollars a year. And we were growing quickly, but we might have been getting 20% new clients every month, but losing 15%. So net, it was still five, but it was good marketing, masking a broken product. And one day, my ex-business partner and I were getting coffee and he taps me on the shoulder and he tells me he's out, not in two weeks or two days. He's out in two minutes. And like, obviously I go white and I'm sweating. and I'm thinking to myself, holy crap, we're not going to be able to survive this. And I had to make a decision. Do I bankrupt this company or do I try to turn it around? And it was tough, man. Like we lost, I don't know, 40% of revenue in a three-month period, bank accounts getting frozen. Rumors spreading that we're going to go bankrupt, team members leaving left and right, clients leaving left and right. But ultimately, I was pretty confident that two things. One, we owed a lot of credits to clients, and I didn't think it was ethical to shut that down and people lost it. But also, I could see where we were tripping over ourselves and where we were inefficient. And I could see like communication was just all over the place. It was nonstop pinging and dinging. I couldn't get any work done. We used best in class tools and we were doing an okay job, but at the size of team and the lack of kind of, I didn't have an executive team. It was just at that point, me overseeing 150 people. And so it was just nonstop. I couldn't get any work done. So I started realizing, look, we got to use communication tools properly, minimize this noise. I couldn't click a button and know who's working on what. So I knew like the project management, work management needed. I needed to be able to get to that point. And then I knew that we needed to document all of our IP and knowledge. And we honestly, we did a pretty good job already of that. Had we not, when my partner left, we probably would have not survived. Yeah. And so I started really focusing on these three buckets of CPR, which is now the core framework of my book, Come Up for Air. But I s it's I started noticing that things quickly started turning around. And then simultaneously people started randomly reaching out to me asking I don't know, word got out that we were using tools in interesting ways. And through word of mouth, uh people like Tony Robbins or others started reaching out to me asking me to help. And so I started looking at all these various businesses poop spray companies, cryptocurrencies, fat companies, big, small. Seven figures, multi-billion dollars, everyone had the same issues. Everyone needed to communicate, everyone needed a plan, everyone had resources. So I started really seeing like how impactful this CPR framework really was. And over over the course of some time, like I really just realized that the big the thing I was more passionate about and the thing that really we could separate and be world class at wasn't the freelancer marketplace. It was really carving out this new industry of operational efficiency and teaching and consulting best practices of how not just individuals could be productive, but how can an entire organization be productive and leverage things beyond just Gmail and Outlook, but all these new tools that no one's ever been
1: taught when and how to best use them. Love it. Thanks for sharing that story. And certainly makes a lot of sense as to how you then came to be because you needed to come up for air yourself. Oh <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. No one's drowned in work more than me. So <laughs> yeah. I'm just like a guinea pig that stress tests.
2: Oh I don't know. Maybe it's my O C D too, but yeah. I view myself as a guinea pig where I'll have a problem and I just won't stop until I figure out a way to solve it. And how do I okay. use technologies or different tools to come up with a solution? I really view internally, like we're like more of a laboratory or like a research center where we're testing all these things, testing on ourselves first, and then a handful of clients, or I'll give a talk and see. And then if we're like, okay, this actually now is what we are considering to be a new best practice, then we'll start creating video courses and trainings around it and including it in the more broad consulting and training that we do.
1: Got it. I got five quick hitters for you. Quick, A couple of them might be multiple choice. Right. If you had to start a company today and build it to be a $100 million business, but you're starting it today, are you Gmail or Outlook?
2: <laughs> I like Gmail better.
1: For internal communications, what's the best tool out there?
2: I'm at Gmail Slack combo. Okay, perfect. Best CRM? It depends. There's Pick one. Pick a lot one. Of you're starting things... a
1: company today that's going to be $100 million. Pick one.
2: It matters the type of company and the complexity. So if it's a really complex type of company, Salesforce is, you know, the Cadillac of it. We personally use HubSpot and I found that to be much more user friendly. Okay. I would all things being equal, I'd
1: probably go HubSpot, but there are cases where Salesforce would be the right pick there. Okay. So this may trick the question, but if you had to use a project management tool, which one would it be? Asana. And what is the other software you would add to your business other than the ones you just mentioned in any category?
2: Just one, Zoom. Ooh, okay, interesting.
1: All right. Rich, Google, Slack, Salesforce.com or HubSpot, Asana, and Zoom.
2: And then if I had more, I'd go Coda and Process ProcessTree after that and Loom. Coda,
1: Process Tree, and Loom. Talk to me about the project
0: management and work management side. You had said you could not hit a button and see what everybody's working on. You got to 150 people and that's a lot of people to not know what people are working on. There's a bunch of inefficiency within that. Uh, You don't know what department's working on what. And I think with 150 people is probably bigger than our average listener. But even with 10 people, Five people to know what everybody's working on. How how do you do that? Is that through Asana? And if it is, what are the practices that you'd recommend for someone who's just starting up with it?
2: Yeah, it's a combination of using a tool. You could do this with Asana. You could use Monday, ClickUp. There's a whole bunch. You could also use Excel or Airtable or other. There's a lot of different ways of doing it. But I think it's a combination of knowing how and when to use the tools, but then also having some type of ritual in your company. Like maybe it's every week you do a sprint planning exercise with your team or some way that you're checking in and prioritizing. And so I think it's a combination of knowing how to use the tools properly and then also establishing some type of framework or ritual internally with the team. So yeah, like I use Asana to delegate tasks and stuff. But then I have weekly one-on-ones with people. I use an agenda tool called fellow.app. By the way, a lot of these tools, I think if you go to getleverage.com slash tools, I've got a list of all these tools on that site. And I think we get discounts for people. But if I wanna hold someone accountable and have some talking points, like if me and you right now say, oh, by next week, you're gonna have this episode recorded, edited and launched, right? That might be an Asana task, and you might have a bunch, but if that's the main thing that I want to check in and make sure it got done, I'll add that as a talking point to the agenda, if that makes sense. You said fellow.app, what was that used for? It's an agenda tool. Okay. And how do you use Coda? That's a knowledge base or a wiki. If you think about the knowledge in the company... You have static knowledge, which answers the questions, who, what, when, where, why, who's the CEO, what's the org chart, when are the town halls, what's our pricing table matrix. That's company information that needs to be organized in a place that's easy for any employee to go and find that. What are the core values of the company? And then you have dynamic knowledge that answers the question how. So how do you do payroll? How do you onboard a new team member? How do you onboard a new client? Or well, it's a sequence of steps that have to be done in some order. So. Everyone on this listening right now has IP and knowledge that needs to be stored and easy to retrieve. The name of the game with the underpinning concept of my book and all of the content that I create is that teams should be optimizing to retrieve information as fast as possible, not to transfer information as fast as possible. The teams that are optimizing for transferring information as fast as possible they're optimizing for the short term and they're optimizing for themselves as an individual. How can you save five seconds right now? And usually that means you're texting or you're emailing. If you really want to save time on a company level, everyone needs to make a mutual agreement that they're going to be optimizing for retrieval, which means that you take pause. You don't do what's fastest for yourself in the moment. You do what's fastest overall for people to find that thing in the future. And what goes around comes around. So when people are putting things in the right drawer for you, you're gonna save 30 minutes sometimes not having to go on a scavenger hunt. And it's crazy because you already, if you think about it, do this in your personal life. For example, when you do your laundry, you don't just take stuff out of the dryer and throw it in one drawer, which would be the fastest way to be done with your laundry if you're just transferring it from the dryer to a drawer. But if you take the time, to organize and separate socks in one drawer, underwear in another drawer, you're investing the time to take an extra minute, let's say, to be done with laundry now, because you know that tomorrow when you need to put an outfit together, it's going to be far faster for you because it's organized. And it's the same thinking with business. You've got all these drawers where different pieces of information should live in each drawer. And rather than just transferring stuff and playing hot potato quickly, have people spend the time to put in the right drawer so
0: that it's faster for everyone to find it later. Excellent. Thanks for that. Last question I have for you is about how did you develop the relationship you have with Tony Robbins? You said you did keynote after his session. You have him listed at the top of the back of your book that he is aware of your book. You said that he or his team had reached out to you. What is your relationship with Tony Robbins and how did that develop?
2: We have mutual friends. We got put in touch through a mutual friend and I, we still chat every once in a while and help out where we can make him more efficient. He's a great guy. He really is. What I respect about Tony is he's really a student at heart for as big of a name he is and as successful as he is, he still has got that student mind and open to learning things. So I have a lot of respect for him. What are you most proud of, Nick? turning my company around when I was on the brink of bankruptcy.
0: Thanks for being on today. I think you shared an awful lot of tips and tricks and you were very generous with that. And we have your website, getleverage.com and certainly your book come up for air and you're open to do consulting. If people wanted to get yeah, more if- of you, how would they go about doing that?
2: So if you go to getleverage.com, if you want help with the various trainings that we offer for all the tools that we talked about. That's where you'd go there. And then a great starting point too is get the book. If you go to comeupforair.com, you can find not just where to buy the book, but also a bunch of free resources for the book. And The book is 320 pages long, packed with content. There's really no fluff. HarperCollins didn't want me going any longer than 320 pages. And I'm an efficiency nut. So like for a normal person, it's like a thousand page book, but throughout the book, we talk about, if you want to see more, the playbook here, the calculator for this, we've spent a tremendous amount of time building out free resources to supplement the book. And so you can find out all of that at comeupforair.com. So you got getleverage.com for the training, comeupforair.com for the book. Thank you,
1: Nick. Thanks for having me. Thanks Nick. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. Rich, we didn't talk about it when he brought it up, but I wanted to bring back something he talked about there, about optimized retrieval for your team. And he gave the example of the laundry basket, and how, sure, you could do your laundry a lot faster by just throwing your stuff in there, but you fold it and you put it away to make it easier in the future. The amount of times I remember getting a request from Somebody going, hey, how do I do this in Excel? Or how do I do this or I do that? And all I did was go onto YouTube, find a video and send them the link. It's been phenomenal. The tools exist out there. But as a company, for you to be able to create those tools, to optimize retrieval for everybody, so stuff's not just flying all over the place, that alone has a massive amount of efficiency and productivity built into it. I've never used the tool. You asked them what Coda was about, that ability to be a Wikipedia for your business with everything in there. And I'm supposing that people can suggest improvements to that particular wiki item and people approve it or say, oh, this is the better way to do it or whatever it may be. So I would really want to look into that one. I have no idea what fellow.app is, but I know you're big into agendas. So we'll be looking at that one. Process tree sounds interesting to me. A lot of great tools here that I'm gonna be digging in after this conversation to see if we should be utilizing them.
0: Yeah, no doubt. and. You brought up this optimized retrieval of information versus transfer. I was going to bring the same thing up. We are, as a company, making a shift, and we're, I'd say, about in the middle of it, where we're so used to doing a training. Bring people in. It's a online or in-person training, and the end is the end of that training. Anyone else in the future who wants that information in the past, we've just said, oh, here's a slide deck, or we have another training coming up. We have so many people in SertaPro who need to get that information, but maybe they're not available, or maybe they haven't even been hired yet, or maybe there's turnover in one of the businesses that we are really starting to focus on having asynchronous resources for all, first and foremost. And trainings only for the most high-priority items. So that's where we're starting to shift our priorities, where it used to be we do a training and then repurpose a couple of things, like a recording of a webinar and make that available. Like We're thinking, first and foremost, retrieval, and then transfer secondarily. And it's a shift. It's a big shift, but it's an important one.
1: Yeah, it's how people are consuming information today. The ability, one of our companies does town halls every month and they get the entire company together for an hour to do the town hall, but it's a one directional conversation to the body of employees. Why that's not recorded and submitted to the employees for them to listen, where they can listen to it on their own at five o'clock in the morning when they're working out or later on in the day when they have a free opening in their schedule, I'm not sure, but it'd probably be a lot more efficient then this death by meeting to go sit in on a zoom call that you're not really a participant in either. You're just observing what's going on. I'm sure as I say that there are some confidentiality reasons. You wouldn't do that. I'm sure there are some proprietary reasons. If somebody on your team forwards it off to your competitors and shows them what's going on. There's probably some reasons why you wouldn't want to record or do something like that, isn't there? Well, I'd say, sure. There are things that
0: if you don't, Want something to leak out, then you wouldn't record it and mass distribute it. But there are also companies that have open board notes for anybody to be able to view online because they know the secret sauce is really in the people and how they use it. It's not really in the intellectual property because you can go get whatever that information is that we think is so secret. Like it's actually Googleable, the majority of everything. I was just thinking, I loved his add-on, and I'm tagging on to your, why don't we just record that? I loved yeah. his add-on to what I validated of, have a meeting if there's interaction, and if there's not interaction and it's one way, just record it. His add-on was, yeah, but you can have them watch a recording and then schedule a meeting to talk yeah. about it. Yeah, I thought that was really neat. So with your scenario, maybe that's an option is, you would give what information is public and just one-way communication in a recording, then maybe you have separate teams who digest what they just heard as what's actionable for their team or what it means for their team. Or if there is something proprietary that's given to the facilitator of those separate meetings after that recording is viewed. I think looking at that hybrid option really makes things interesting and much less binary. Is this
1: just one or the other? It could be both. Yeah, no doubt. Rich, I'm just curious. You've asked me a lot of personal questions on these conversations and took me by surprise. So I got one I got one for you. How would you rate your email efficiency on a scale of one to ten? Ten being you're a master and one being you're not? Oh, I'd
0: say. say a solid seven. Okay. And the reason I'd say a solid seven is what I tend to prioritize replying to in my inbox are things where A lack of a reply is going to hold someone else up from doing what they need to do. But I just recently cleared out my inbox and put it in a separate folder and went, I'm going to try to do the inbox zero. I'm already behind on it. I need to take some time and get in the Nick's book and set up some rules and send things through and use snooze more often. Mm -hmm. I'd only say I'm a solid seven. Because it's not very often that I totally miss an email. Yeah. I'm pretty appropriately responsive to darn near 98% of emails that I get. But
1: if you were to look at it, it's it'd be quite unimpressive how it's organized. Yeah. I think there's a huge opportunity there. And it's certainly for everybody. I'm certainly not a 10 myself either.
0: Add, reply, archive, defer.
1: Yeah. So one of the tricks that, that I learned through SaneBox, I mentioned on this episode, is a tool that I use. I actually pay for it. You did um, that 20 years ago, didn't you? SaneBox? That not, was a long time it ago. It wasn't 20 years ago, Rich, but it was a solid decade at least. Yeah. And I've been using it ever since. Yeah. But anytime I read something, whether it be on my phone or on my computer, I do something with it. 100% of the time. I never read an email that I don't do something with it. And do you is what you do with it? You either reply, you yep. archive it, or you defer. Yep. Yes. You've just never thought of RAD. That's a neat acronym I, to just- I don't use, I never what use it. So now I'll remember it. I, I don't use that acronym, but I'll either reply back to it right away and delete or archive. So it's out of my inbox. I'll delete or archive it so because I don't have to respond to this for whatever reason. I'm copied on something everybody else copied on. It has nothing to do with me. Out. Or if it's something I'm going to deal with later, I defer it. And I'll give you a really good example. I got an email earlier today of a good friend of mine that I'm actually going to call later tonight. I sent it to myself to 6 p.m. tonight. So at 6 p.m. tonight, it's going to come back and I go, oh, yeah, I got to call someone. So I deferred it even in the same day. There's stuff I got to handle tomorrow. Or he gave a really good example. If I have an appointment on Thursday to go meet somebody and they sent me the address in an email, I'm just going to send that email to Thursday at 8 a.m. and it's going to come back at 8 a.m. Oh, yeah, that's the address. So every time I read something, I take action because what ends up happening is you read it, you keep it in your inbox, another one comes in, you read it, ah, I'll deal with that later. The next thing you have a hundred emails in there, and you're drowning in your email, which is a point that he said. So that was the biggest tip that I learned was basically Rad from Sanebox, and they provided me the tools to be able to do it. So something I'd encourage you and everybody listening to really maybe take as an opportunity on this call to utilize or maybe even look at Sanebox themselves or other tools that are out there. But it's certainly the key to Inbox Zero. Because at the end of every day, if you can look at your inbox and there's nothing in there, you're like, wow, all of a sudden you just <laughs> you feel different. Yeah, uh, it's cool. As you were talking about that, I thought
0: I'm pretty good at replying to what I need to in a timely manner. I'm pretty good at archiving. Oh, I don't need to read this. I could put that in here, or I already read it. I could put that in here or delete it. The one I'm not good at is deferring. Mm-hmm. I don't defer anything. And you're right. The way that I do it is I just leave it there. I, heck, I got an email from you. This morning that I don't have time to read the whole thing. I skimmed it and went, okay, great. I need to get into that. I'm not going to read the whole thing right now. And it is fifth in my inbox right now, probably getting prepared to be buried that I'm going to have to take some time to go find out. And I really should schedule that where I have some slush time in my schedule where I know where that is because I have that scheduled and just defer it to clean things up. So that's the one that I'm really taking as immediately actionable. Other than wanting to research a bunch of these technologies that Nick recommends, I'm gonna make a commitment to immediately start using this defer. I'll do it today and start playing with it and get into it in a way that works for me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the last piece that I just wanna throw out here, Rich, is artificial intelligence. I don't think, we didn't scratch the surface in this conversation, what's going on. I was looking at tools today that literally in Excel or Google Sheets, you can say, please write a formula that will do this for me. And instead of you knowing how to do a V lookup to this tab, it will do it for you. Mm. So you, all you have to do is tell them in plain English what you actually want done, and it'll actually write the formula for you that will work in Sheets, as an example. Mm. So there's so many tools that are coming out, they're gonna really help people become more and more efficient. They're saying today, they're saying being people out there that are following artificial intelligence and business, It could be the single biggest productivity improvement that we've ever seen, and small business owners need to pay attention.